So I mentioned my dad earlier. My dad graduated from a school in Upland, Indiana called Taylor University. Actually, some in this room graduated from that same school. Oh, you're clapping. That's good. Um, and uh, uh, so my dad maintained a wonderful friendship with one of his college roommates who ended up becoming a professor and the head of the, the uh biology department, and we, most, most fall, uh, when, when autumn would come around, most of the time, we'd end up going as a family to celebrate the homecoming uh, time period at Taylor University, and just have wonderful memories of doing that as a kid, but one of them that really stood out to me was Ivanhoe's. Now, some of you have heard of this place before. Oh, raising your hand, that's awesome. So, so Ivanhoe's is known for a couple of things, that, but if you walk in, they have this menu that's huge, and it's an ice cream shop, and uh, they sell other things, but really you're there for the ice cream. And they're known for their hundred different versions of milkshakes and a hundred different versions of sundaes. And uh, there's a few of them that are kind of weird, like there's one called the breakfast Sunday. I don't know who wants bacon and eggs on their Sunday, but it sounds kind of gross. Uh, I don't even know if that's it. I just saw it. There's the bear claw is one of them. Another Another is um, the caterpillar, which is kind of bizarre, or the ladybug. Who, who wants to be dipping into one of those, you know, like an M&M while you're thinking about ladybugs? It sounds gross, right? But, but when, you're, when you're picking this Sunday, you stand back and you can look at a hundred different options. And, and I can't help but think uh, about the fact that for us in life, we, we get tons of choices, don't we? Isn't it great to have choices? Uh, we... We get to choose what we like, and we get to choose the 99 that we don't like. I hope we choose the 99 we don't like, because uh, they tell me, I read this on the website, that you can pick uh, like a card, and you can like mark off if you tried all 100 of them, and after you're done, they'll give you a t-shirt, and you'll also have diabetes. So, you know, like that's, a, that's how it works, right? But, but the choice, the, the process, the ability to select and choose is something that has been really heavy for me recently. Because I, I believe the fact that, that there are some people today, when, when it comes to understanding the truth of God's word, that we look at God's word, and, and we're going to see this in the life of Job a little bit today. We, we look at God's word, and, and God's word does teach us a lot of really powerful things, right? It has blunt statements. It talks about our past, our present, and our future. It's, it's intimate, and it talks about things that are incredibly personal, like our sexuality, like our, our decisions, our, our choices that we make. And, and what I'm afraid of is that for some of us, I think that we read those truths and then we stand back and we say, yeah, but, 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 but I'm not sure if I'm, I'm really ready for that. And, and in fact, they, um, you guys don't mind me doing this, right? But, 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 but we do it every day. And the way that we do this every day is that we stand back and we say, you know what, I'm the person who has the ability to decide which parts of that are true for me. We use that phrase sometimes. And some of these topics like heaven and hell, some of these topics like understanding, I mentioned this already, God's design for each and every one of us, they, they become so complicated. The sanctity of human life, the value of human beings, and for some of us, we find ourselves doing what they did back in the 80s and 90s. It's kind of appalling to think of it. 
But there was a group of 150 people in the name of Jesus and understanding truth. What they decided to do was that they were going to take the Bible out. And I used to, I heard about this when I was a boy and uh, I thought it was all scholars that this actually was just 150. Most of those people were not scholars at all. They're just regular readers of God's word. At least 100 of them were. And what they decided to do is they take certain passages of scripture, often the ones that involve Jesus's voice where he's written red letter parts of your Bible. And they used a system in the Jesus seminar where they decided which of those parts of scripture were true and which ones weren't. In fact, let me describe their criteria. It says this, that in their high profile passages, they would vote together. And so they had these beads and every person had a stack of beads and a red bead would indicate that the voter believed that Jesus did say the passage quoted or something a lot like that. So that sounds like Jesus. Uh, the pink beads indicated that the voter believed that Jesus probably said something like that. And you get two points for that. Okay. Um, then the gray beads indicate that a voter believed that Jesus did not say the passage, but it contains some of the ideas of Jesus. And then finally, the dreaded black bead indicated that the voter believed that Jesus did not say the passage ever. It comes from later admirers or different tradition. No, we would never do that, would we? Wait a second, though. When it comes to the decisions that we make, the way we submit to the truth and authority of God's word, this question of who knows becomes so essential for us. Because we can find ourselves saying, I know the way it's supposed to be. In fact, it doesn't sound fair. It doesn't sound right for someone. Job's question was about suffering. Why is it that I'm suffering? It doesn't seem fair. Job had his own questions for who knows. But this morning, I have the privilege, as we study these last few chapters of the book of Job, I love these passages, to remind every one of us that there is a different perspective that you and I can have on our life experience. And that perspective can be that we find ourselves seeing life through the eyes of the God who knows your past, the God who knows your present, and the God that knows your future. And so when we stand back and we say, you know what, I, I, I like that one. Oh, I don't like that one. Hey, by the way, you can find people who call themselves Christians who, who do this every day. They're doing it right now. They're, they're taking out entire sections of scripture and they're claiming the same kind of authority that they did back in this movement so many years ago. And you know what? It's nothing new. It's the ability for a person to stand back and to be able to say, I'm the one who gets to decide what truth is or not. And I'll just tell you, when you do that, it stops being something that you're submitting to, right? And it puts yourself back on the throne. And I'll just tell you, you don't deserve to be on the throne. I hate to say that. The only person who deserves to be on the throne is the God of the universe. The one who gave us the authority and the truth of his word. So who knows how we're supposed to experience life? Who knows the rest of the story? Who knows? Well, well, it sounds harsh for me to say it, but God's literally going to say that to Job today. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to the book of Job. And what we're going to see is this new perspective on suffering is going to be God's perspective on suffering. God knows what was. God knows what is. And God knows what will be. And if you stick with me on this, and if you study this together, it sounds like I'm being harsh, but actually what you're going to see, what we're going to see at the end of this, is the God of the universe is always in the business of restoration. I want you to know that. 
that he's in the business of restoring. He is not in the business of tearing down. In fact, when we see this, what's going to happen is that we're going to see God remind Job. And it's not so gentle today. I'm just going to tell you. He's, he's going to put Job in his place. And I'll be frank. As I studied this this week, he put me in my place. Hey, buddy. I'm in control. I'm sovereign. In fact, this is the image for me. Sean, I want you to know what sphere of life that I've given you responsibility for, and I want you to stay in that sphere. The stuff that's outside of that sphere, I want you to trust me with it. Do you understand how powerful that is? Allie Allie and I had this conversation, my wife and I, this weekend, and and even just talking about that, like, what has God asked me to be responsible for? I'm, I'm responsible for that. And you know what's easier for me to do is to live on all that stuff that's outside of it and to say, man, can you believe how they do this? I can't believe they're screwing this up. What's going on? God, what's going on? You need to fix those people. But, but what I'm doing is I'm ignoring the fact that God's just asked me to be faithful in my things that he's asked me to be faithful with. Do you guys get that? And so living in all that other stuff, that's what God's going to look at Job and he's going to say, hey, buddy, I, I got it. <laughs> He's going to say, hey, buddy, I'm big enough to handle this. I do things in creation that you haven't even thought of. <laughs> but, but in that process, I want to say that there's so much encouragement when we allow ourselves to just do this. Listen to the words of Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. The Lord says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I I just love that idea. And as we head into Job chapter 38, I just want you to remember that God's ways are higher than ours, that that he sees things from a different perspective. In Job 38 verse one, it says this, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Now remember what he's answering to Job. Job's complaining to God. God, again, I'm suffering. I don't know why I'm going through this. My friends have accused me. Um, he's gone through so many chapters of wrestling with justifying himself. And the Lord answers Job out of the whirlwind, which is fascinating. And he says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? That's a convoluted to say, who is this that doesn't know what they're talking about? And he says this then in verse three, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. We'll see this two times this dress for action, I almost get that military image, like be ready to go, to, to be dressed and fit to respond to the captain in front of you. Where were you? Where were you? This is God's question now to Job. So he stands back. All right, step up, listen to me. And he says this in verse four. Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? And then he kind of sarcastically says to him, surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it? And then he goes on to describe this. This is a question that God asks those of us who say, I want to be in control. You know what he says back to us? He says, hey, you're not. (laughs) I was there from the beginning. I did this. I knit this creation together and I knit you together and this, 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 how about a, a divine dose of sarcasm? Those of you who are sarcastic say, yes, right? But, but here God um, encourages Job. He challenges Job. And it leads us to the first point this morning. And that is God's viewpoint on our suffering is drastically different 
than our own. I think it's so important for us. When I say he knows our past, he's not ignorant of your past pains. I think when we share suffering, when we talk about suffering, so often when we describe it, we talk about the pain that happened in our past. It's not the person who you just lost, right? But it's often the fact that this reminds you of the painful losses that you've had in a lifetime. And I want to remind you, God's with you through that. But he also knows what's going on. He knows what's happening right now. And he also knows the future. And what's beautiful is that this is setting up for Job's restoration before God. And we've said it. Job has no idea what he's about to get into, but God's going to bless him immensely. So he says to us, my viewpoint on your suffering is so different than your own. I understand your creation more intimately than you do. I understand the rest of the story. And in fact, he's going to use this uh, over the next two chapters. He's going to take Job to school. And and the lesson that he's going to give Job, it's like an oral pop quiz, right? You guys love those when you're in school, right? Uh, It's a a pop quiz where he's going to ask Job questions. And the questions that he's going to ask him are going to span across so many different topics. Meteorology, astronomy, oceanography, cosmology. He's going to ask Job, were you... Can you bind the chains of um, Pallades or loosen the cords of Orion's belt? <laughs> these, these images, like, like Job, were you there? Did you understand? Do you understand what happened? He's going to talk about animals and he's going to talk to Job about how the lion and the raven get their food. Job, do you know how the goat and the deer get their young? Job, do you know how the donkey and the ox are tamed? Job, do you know why the horse and the ostrich behave so weird? It's kind of funny in the text, like talks about the ostrich egg and how it lays it and then steps on it. Later, he says, do you know how the hawk and the vulture fly? Can you imagine before flight, uh, manned flight, I think you stand back and you see the birds in the air. And I still just, I saw an eagle yesterday. It was incredible. And and as it flew over, I just found myself just sitting back in awe of just how amazing. And and God is okay with us pausing and standing back. And then God's going to describe two things that are quite fascinating, kind of controversial things, just because we don't exactly know what they are. But I want to remind you that in this time period, he's putting Job in a dose of perspective, and he's going to say to him, I created an animal that rules over the earth, and I've created animals that rules over the ocean. And he's going to describe this, this much, uh, much debated concept of the behemoth. Uh, some have described what's found in Job 40 verses 15 through 24 as maybe a rhinoceros or an elephant uh, that lives on land. And then he's going to describe the Leviathan described in Job 41, uh, which is probably the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, anybody agree with me on that? That's a joke. You're supposed to laugh. Are you guys still awake? A few of you. Uh, but, but actually, I, I love this. I see he's describing these things. Like these could totally be the dinosaurs that God invented and created. In fact, I, when I read this and he describes them in their majesty, I'm, I'm comfortable with it being parts of God's creation that I believe that human beings probably walked on the earth while dinosaurs were on the earth. And I just find myself comfortable with this, and I read this, and I just celebrate God's goodness. Do you understand what you'd see when you read this? God's like, I got this. I took care of the intimate details 
Um, I, um, no offense, Pastor Joe, I love to worship publicly and sing. I'm not very good at it, but I'll tell you, one of the most intimate times of worship for me is actually when I'm snorkeling or uh, in above an ocean, just looking down upon it. And then uh, I, I love the, that moment when you just find yourself just in awe of it. I haven't done it in a while, but uh, I remember in the Bahamas one time, we looked um, down, we were spearfishing, Allie and I, and uh, she was up top. She likes to stay up top, and we were just in this beautiful reef with a bunch of Bahamian friends, and uh, they gave me a spear, which is dangerous, and they're like, shoot whatever you want to shoot, and so I did. I went down, and I saw one of these guys, and um, it was big. It was really big, so I shot him um, because I'm that guy. Um, I promised where our plan was to eat him, um, but then he puffed up to the size of a basketball because he was a puffer fish, you know, and so I look up at Allie. She's at the top of the, of the ocean, and she's just laughing through a snorkel, you know. She's, she's cracking up because it's just this moment, and I I could just tell you story after story of God's creation that we just, we just stand back in awe of, right? Like that it's that way, whether we notice it or not. Like I prayed earlier today. It's incredible, isn't it? And so God uses this illustration with Job where he says to Job, my creation is incredible. You, you, aren't the, you don't even understand. You can take it apart, but you can't understand that, that I'm at work in that. Every system that I built together and I think it's important for us to remember as we study these passages that God understands how things work far better than you and I do. In Job chapter 40, we'll skip ahead to verse 6. He again tells him to dress like a man. Uh, it says this, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, and he said, Dress for action like a man. Again, I think he's going to tell him to take his medicine. I will question you, and you make it known to me Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Verse 10, adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger. You know what he's saying there? I'm, I'm awesome. And hey, you go on ahead and have your little pity party. <laughs> You go on ahead and you be frustrated with your circumstance. This isn't callous and cold. It's just God looking down on, on Job and saying, Job, I understand your suffering differently than you do. And I want to share with you, I read an incredible article. It was written by Simone Weil, and it examines the difficulty of suffering. And as we come to the end of this Job series, we've talked a lot about suffering, but she outlines in this article five different ways that people respond to suffering that is unhelpful. The first that she talks about is, is self-isolation. And it's suffering almost immediately making you feel cut off from the world. You isolate from your friends. You, you feel like they can't understand you anymore. It's also true that many friends will stay away and you allow them to because they don't know how to respond. And so this description is very common of something that we can relate to. The second is self-absorption. We see this very commonly, and that is I'm so aware of my own pain that I can't be sensitive to the fact that other people are suffering, that I, I'm only aware of what I'm struggling through. And that self-absorption can lead to really tragic circumstance. Remember when Job's restored, we're going to see this at the end of the book, that, that he turns his prayers from himself to his friends, even the ones that were unhelpful in the process. And I just love that, that image. 
The third is that people feel shame and self-condemnation. Some of you know exactly what that feels like. It's like a weight around your neck. I've messed up. I've done this. I've caused this. I'm, I'm dealing with the consequences of my own failure. And people find themselves stuck there. The fourth pitfall of suffering can be anger. Often we find ourselves just so upset, frustrated. I can't fix this, that we're angry with ourselves and with others. The reason why I read these, though, is this last one. It's quite fascinating to me. She describes this as being complicit with the affliction. It is possible for the sufferer to become complicit with the affliction. Little by little, turn the soul into its accomplice by injecting a poison of inertia into it. We may actually become comfortable with our discomfort we may find the idea of going back into the responsibilities of life daunting. Or self-pity can be sweet and addicting. Or suffering can become an excuse for behavior you could not otherwise justify. Or you may feel you need to pay for your sins and the suffering is the way to do it. So you choose to. This is a fascinating statement. So you choose to stay miserable. I think what God's saying to Job is stop it. You've had your pity party. Let me give you a dose of perspective. He goes on to say this. If we pick back up in that section of scripture, chapter 40, we'll pick up at the end of verse 11. And look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is a proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then... Will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you? It's hard, it's hard to read. But what he's saying there is, Job, if you think you're in control, if you think you can do better than me, you are going to suffer. So when I go back to my circle here, and when I go back to the reality that I am not God, I am responsible for decisions that I make. It's important that I do things. I get the freedom to make choices today, right? Uh, today, I'm going to have the ability to make decisions that are wise and care for the things that God's given me authority over. But, but, but the rest of those things, if I can entrust them into the care of the mighty right hand of the God of the universe, what I can find myself doing is my, I can find myself receiving the dose of perspective that God wants us to have. The perspective is that we see suffering from his perspective. So God says to Job, so you think you can do better than me? I think it's really the biggest question that God asks Job. You want to have my job, Job? Do you want to be in control? And, and I think that the, the, the reality is no one wants to be in God's seat. No one wants to be in control. Nobody wants to have his responsibility and the burdens that he has. But, but for many of us, we like to think that we could do better than him. So when we look at the biggest problems of life, and we stand back and we say, God, that doesn't seem fair. God, do you really care? God, why are you allowing them to succeed and you're making me fail? That we're saying statements that misunderstand the perspective of God on suffering. I love uh, Max Licato. You guys know Max Licato. Some of you know Hermie and Wormy, I think. He was a, a part of that too. But Max Licato, some of you might not know that he was a missionary to Brazil, he and his wife. 
And when they went through language training, he tells the story when he was in Brazil that he was super frustrated with the rate of learning a new language. Many of us can relate to that, can't we? He, he, he's like, man, I, I want to be a missionary. I don't want to be in language school. And one of his professors or teachers that was there in the language school gave him a, um, a document and asked him to translate it. And that document has become a bit famous. The title of it um, is, is one that, um, it's, I think it's called the old, the old wood chopper. Um, but the, he, he saw it all, I believe, in Spanish when it was handed to him, and he just translated it out. And I want to share with you the story that this wise teacher gave to Max Licato when he needed to have a dose of perspective. Once there was an old man who lived in a tiny village. Although he was poor, he was envied by all, for he owned a beautiful white horse, even the king coveted his treasure. A horse like this had never been seen before. Such was its splendor, its majesty, its strength. The neighbors pulled around this poor man, the woodcutter, and his family, and they said, you need to sell that horse so you can provide for your family. And his response back was that he saw this as a gift from God and that he would continue to cherish it. It was a treasured possession for him. Well, one day that horse runs off and the neighbors do what neighbors so often do. And that is, they saw this from a distance and they surrounded him, kind of like Job's accusers. And they said, you fool, you could have sold that horse to the king and you would have made so much money. And his response back to those who accused him of feeling foolhardily, he responds and he says, don't speak so too quickly. Say only that the horse is not in the stable. This is all we know. The rest is judgment. For if I've been cursed or not, how can you know? How can you judge? And then a few weeks later, I love this part of the story, the horse came back with a dozen beautiful wild horses. And the neighbors were amazed. And they declared, we were wrong. The man responded, how do you know if this is a blessing or not? You see only a fragment. Unless you know the whole story, how can you judge? You read only one page of a book how can you judge the whole book? You read only one word of a phrase. How can you understand the entire phrase? Life is so vast. One word of a phrase. Um, life is so vast. One, um, yet you judge all of life with one page or one word. All you have is a fragment. I want to pause there for a second. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, say, you only get to see the portion of the story that you know and for so many of us, we want to figure out, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Is this, is this going to succeed in helping me be more successful? Or is this tearing me down? He's, he's standing back and he's saying, you don't have the data that you need to make that decision. Don't say this is a blessing. No one knows. I'm content with what I know, not by what I don't. Isn't that great? A few weeks later, his son was attempting to break one of those wild horses. And his son fell and broke both of his legs. And then those neighbors came out and they said, your only son has broken his legs and now in your old age, you have no one to help you. Now you are poorer than ever. And again, they accuse him to being a fool. A fool. The old man spoke again. You people are obsessed with judging. Don't go so far. Only say that my son broke his legs. Who knows if this is a blessing or a curse? No one knows. We only have a fragment and we know life comes in fragments. It so happened that a few weeks later, the country engaged in a war against a neighboring country. All the young men of the village were required to join the army. Only the son of the old man was excluded because he was so injured. 
Once again, the people gathered around the old man, crying and screaming because their sons had been taken. There was a little chance that they would return, and the enemy, um, the enemy was strong, and the war uh, would probably be a losing struggle. They'd never see their sons again. You were right, old man, they wept. God knows you were right. This proves it. Your son's accident was a blessing. His legs may be broken, but at least he is with you. Our sons are gone forever. The old man spoke again. It's impossible to talk with you. You always draw conclusions. No one knows. Say only this. Your sons had to go to war and mine did not. No one knows if it's a blessing or a curse. No one is wise enough to know. And then this is it. This is the point. He says, only God knows, right? And I just, I just think that for many of us, if you're like me at least, I'll just confess this for me. If you're like me, I want to label it. I, w- I want to be able to clarify, like, why did I go through this? I want to be able to put a bow on it at the end and say, okay, I learned that lesson, you know? But, but because God knows my past, because God knows my present, and he promises me that he's going to be intimately involved in my future, right? That, that I find myself being someone who's humbled by this to stand back and to say, you know what? God only knows. And, and so, so we say the second point this morning is pretty straightforward. God is God, and forgetting that is quite dangerous. <laughs> we all like to think that we're in control, but life often reminds us that we are not. So now Job, conscious of his ignorance, responds by the, showing that he has been driven into dependence upon the Lord. Job says this in Job chapter 42, verses one through six. Then Job answered the Lord and he said, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you will make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Do you know what he's saying there, church? Do you understand what he's saying? He's, I've, I've heard a lot about you, but now in my suffering, I found myself finally seeing you. Isn't that profound? Isn't that beautiful to be able to stand back and to say, oh, oh now, God, I put you on the throne of my life, you know? Now, God, I've allowed you to be my savior. And now, God, I've allowed you to be the one who I trust in. And then um, this, this is just so, it's so beautiful to me that this, this understanding of this description, it, it echoes back to what we saw in, in Job 33, that, that it talks about in Job 33, what it meant to be restored by God. I just want you to hear this again. He says, man prays to God and God accepts him. He sees his face with a shout of joy and he restores to man his righteousness. He says, I sinned and perverted what is right and it was not repaid to me. He has redeemed my soul from going down into the pit and my life shall look upon the light. Behold, God does all these things twice, three times, with a man to bring back his soul from the pit that they may be lighted with the light of life. Later, 1 Peter 5.10 says this, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Uh, that, that phrase is a promise that you can understand completely. God is in the restoration business. He's always seeking to restore. And, and we celebrate. We started there, actually, when we started the Job series. That, 
that in Job chapter 42, verse 10, the man who had had his body, uh, his health taken away, his family taken away, his wealth taken away, that now we see him be restored. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And when the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before, then came to him all of his brothers and his sisters and all who had known him before, and they ate bread with him in his house, and they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil the Lord had, thought, had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. Their generosity helped to sustain him. Verse 17, or verse 12. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. And he had also seven sons and three daughters. We said this before. You can't replace lost children. There's no question. There was still mourning. There was still pain. There were still scars, I'm sure, from the suffering that Job had experienced in his life. But what I love is that the Lord restored him. I cannot promise you, church, uh, that God is going to restore you in your lifetime. I think that's an important distinction. I can't promise you that the Lord is going to make your body strong again before you die. But what I can promise you is the God of the universe that knows us intimately and per perfectly has prepared a place for us for eternity. That he's, he allows us to have the promise of a new body in his living presence that we can anticipate. Uh, there's nothing boring, by the way, about heaven. I think it's important for us to remember that we're going to continue to be a part of creation. We're going to work. We're going to be, we're going to celebrate him, but we're going to be involved in life to its fullest without the anchors that can hold us back like sin and suffering. Isn't that awesome? And so, and so what we see here is this restoration that Job happens to be one of the lucky ones that gets restored in his lifetime. But praise the Lord, after our death, we can anticipate this restoration done by the God who can do this. It, he, he provided for him. He restored him. Verse 15, and in all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived another 140 years. He saw his sons and his um, son's sons, four generations, and then Job died an old man full of days. I, I just want to, I want to play a game with you, and it's a brief one, and that is, let's just say that God let Job have his way at one stage in the game. He, he just said, oh, if you could just take me out. Oh, if you could just finish me. I'm so bad. It's so bad. It's so hard. It's so difficult. I want you to think about the lifetime of things that he would have missed out and the blessing of being under the hand of the care of the God of the universe. So if right now you're looking at your life, and some are, in fact, there's stories, we see them come out in the paper in our community every week of people who've attempted suicide, attempted people who have found themselves caught up in addiction in such a way that they're, they're devastated. They're, they're really, truly giving up on life, Right? I just want to remind you that you're exchanging something for what God wants to do. So this question, the question we've asked from the start of the Job series is, uh, on our dollar bills, it says, in God we trust. And I'm going to guess that for most people who spend those dollars, that's kind of a lie, right? Like for, for, for most people, that, that's, that's kind of not true. That the, the stuff that, that's represented by that dollar, that's what we put our trust in. Or, or, or we, we find our trust in, in our own power, our own strength. We find our trust in empty things that numb us from the experiences of life, right? But, but I just want to remind you that the person who's wise 
is the person who decides to fill in the blank. In God we trust. Last week I mentioned Tim Keller in a powerful book. He describes suffering like a hammer that can drive the nail into the God of the universe to trust him and to experience the kind of life that you could never imagine. And I didn't say it this last week, but if you notice close in this picture, that the picture is actually a cross that's there. And I just want to remind you as we come to the end of this whole series, the God who sent his son to die so that you and I can anticipate true life, that, that he's asked us just to do what Jim said earlier, to just, just to trust him, right? To, to say, all right, I'm not going to be on the throne anymore. I'm not in control. I, I'm a lousy God. I, I'm a the lower, lowercase g God. When I'm in control of my life, it's not very good. And in fact, I'm going to give you the keys back to being in control of my life that you always had, right? I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to depend upon you. And I'm just going to ask you right now to bow your heads together with me and just to ask the Lord to reveal to you in your circle what is it that he's asked of you? What has he given you authority over? What is, what is it that he's given you responsibility for? My guess is that it's going to look an awful lot like how you spend today. And in fact, it's not going to look an awful lot like how you're going to spend 10 weeks from now or next year or 10 years from now or a decade away, whatever. It's going to be focusing in on today. What does it mean for me to depend on the God of the universe today? And we've asked this question in so many different ways, but how big is your God? The question that you have to ask yourself is, is he big enough to handle your circumstances? Is he trustworthy enough to be dependable with the experiences of your life? I just want to remind you, he's great with you being honest with him. He's great with you being vulnerable to him. Lord, I, 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 this is the cry of my heart. This is the desire. I'm, I'm hurting. I'm scared. I don't understand. But I just promise you, the person who says, Lord, I need you. <laughs> Lord, I trust you. Lord, I depend upon you as your word is the word of life. I think that what you're going to experience is you're going to experience the kind of restoration that God allowed Job to experience. So as we sing these words, they, I hope they, they have meaning to you. You are God alone. <laughs>